so good to me. Monday morning, it was all I hoped it would be. Welcome back, everyone. We know it has been just a little bit since we've been with you, Brian and Sam, here with the weekend recap. Um, Believe it or not, weekends are busy, and personal life can get in the way sometimes, and that's exactly what happened with us. Just, uh, you know, th- things kept coming up, and we couldn't, didn't have the time to, to get it done, but we're back here, and we're, we're, we promise to be better moving forward, and, you know, that's, that's what we're going to give you here. Oh, yes. Let's open with college basketball. As John Rothstein would say, it is March. This is March. This is his time. This is everyone's time to shine. You know, the the Twitter gr- uh, videos and graphics and everything were all over the place with the CBS music. It, it got me all excited. I cannot wait for the tournament. But we've still got plenty of time before then. As you're listening to this, Selection Sunday would have been two weeks from yesterday. Still 13 days left of college basketball before we get to Selection Sunday. And uh, the bubble is an absolute mess right now. Yeah, good Lord. There's, like, after Creighton beat Marquette today, which I, which I was very happy about, obviously, as a Creighton grad, uh, somebody tweeted, Creighton joins the bubble along with everybody else, which is completely accurate in yeah. that there's, that in the first four out, next four out, you might see over the next few days 20 different teams yep. Yep. in those lists. So I've been doing a pretty much like every other day and then throughout the weekend. So like a Friday, a Sunday night, a.k.a. Monday morning, and then like a Wednesday and then back to Friday. I've been releasing my predictions. Mm-hmm. And between Fridays and the one I just finished that'll be up uh, like 5 a.m. tomorrow or t- today for those listening, 21 of the 68 teams that I had in the field lost – and of those, oh only God. two were automatic qualifiers, so like smaller schools. Like yeah. Radford lost to Campbell, so Campbell's now in over Radford because they're first in the Big South. Mm-hmm. And then uh, St. Francis, Pennsylvania lost, but they're still first in their league, so they just stay where they are. It's yeah. It was absolutely insane. It took so long for me to like, move <laughs> these teams around. It was a pain in the ass, but it's it's fun. This is what March is all about. And mm-hmm. uh, you know now that they have the new net rankings, it'll be interesting to see how the committee actually factors that in, whether it is, uh, you know, used in the decision-making of whether a team is in or out, or if that's more resume-based, and then, you know, they use the net for seeding instead of whether they're there or not. Yeah, exactly. And any metric like that is supposed to be simple enough, but it's complicated enough where you never really know. So if there's going to be teams that are left out with a, for example, a 54 net, but maybe 72 gets in for whatever reason, then I, I, it'll just be the same people complaining about, and right, rightfully so, I, I believe, uh, about their team not getting in and why this, why this didn't. But this is March, and as you said, there's plenty of, plenty of regular season basketball even left to be played with a week left in the season. Yeah, and I think an important key to this is this is the first year of the net, and there's already, it's already showing flaws. The biggest thing is if they can take a look at it after the season and figure out where they went wrong and fix it as they move forward. So long as it's not like a stationary still thing and it's always dynamic and developing, they'll be fine. Because you look at uh, NC State who has very – I think they have one, maybe two quality wins. 
and they are 31st in the net. And then um, someone else just lost this weekend. I cannot remember who off the top of my head. If you check out B. Fox and B. Frank Show's Twitter account, you can see it there, but I retweeted it. They lost to a team that had a net of like 175, and they were 26, and they dropped to 29. So for whatever reason, teams aren't falling when they lose. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like the top 25. Once you get in, it's hard to get out. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, they, I, as long as they keep evaluating it and moving it forward, it is an evaluation tool. Basketball changes. So hopefully they keep that going as they move forward. Uh, and the other big thing is will they allow, you know, some of the stronger mid-major programs in without large bids? The Ohio Valley has three teams that have 25 wins right now. Um, that's a pretty good league. You know, you've got John Morant at Murray State. You've got Belmont, who's playing great basketball. They're twenty-five and four. And then you know you've got uh, Jacksonville State, who's they've actually got twenty-three wins, not twenty-five, but they're right up there. They beat Murray State yeah. once this year, and I believe they beat Belmont once. So it's like there's there's a lot of good teams. Austin P's up there. Are they going to get a chance, or are we going to see you know fourteen loss Indiana? who lost 12 of 14 games get in because they swept Michigan State and, you know, beat uh, some other teams earlier in the season like Marquette. But that all remains to be seen. It'll be uh, exciting, and at LetMeBeFrankBlog.com we'll have something about pretty much everything that happens in college basketball. There was a big game, though, this weekend. Yeah, Top 10 A little more tangible than all this net talk. Exactly. This is, this is real right here. Uh, Kentucky fighting for a one seed heads to Knoxville to take on the Volunteers, and Tennessee just absolutely mollywops them. Double digit win, payback for the you know the bloodbath they they lost at uh, Rupp Arena earlier in the year. Kentucky was without Tra- Reed Travis, which definitely makes a difference. But I don't know if he makes this big a difference in that environment. Yeah, it's tough. Right. And, you know, Grant Williams was great. Admiral Schofield didn't even play that well. I think he had three made shots and, like, 13 total points. But but Bone was unbelievable, 27 points, career high, and, and that got it done for the Volunteers. Yeah, Jordan Bone was getting – he kind of iced it for him. He mm-hmm. he was taking the ball down low on the shot clock, either hitting a three here and there or just getting to the lane seemingly at will. Like, there was no really help defense and he had in the final – six minutes i think he had three or four layups and that's a big thing where kentucky misses reed travis while he does have some foul trouble he is a legitimate rim protector he may not seem like it but he certainly does have that ability to alter shots like that and if he's patrolling the paint it's a way different story than you know say nick richards or whoever they may play down there exactly um but yeah this is this win i think gets tennessee back up to the one line as you'll see if you if you read my post um (laughs) kentucky very safely a two. I think they'd have to do a lot to, to fall out of the two spot, and they certainly still have an opportunity to play their way up to a one. But North Carolina's nipping at their heels now um, as the Tar Heels continue to play really well. Yeah. Well, and this is March, and as you mentioned, some mid-major programs might get a shot with a down Big East and uh, the Pac-12 absolutely horrific Pac-12 as well. Yeah, yeah. so so. Pac-12 legitimately could be a one big one big league one bid league, and Big East maybe two or three. So that makes room for, as you said, some of the mid-major programs. Drake University maybe even yeah. here in Des Moines, having a shot with former Blue Jay assistant coach Darren DeVries. So he, he he's done well. 
Yeah, the last bit, speaking of mid-majors, Nevada at Utah State, the spectrum was rocking, and the Aggies picked up the huge win, which I believe locks them into an NCAA tournament bid. Wolfpack's third loss in conference play this year, but the story was after the game, the Utah State fans rushed the court and allegedly, I believe allegedly is is the (laughs) key word here, uh, were taunting, harassing, cursing, physically pushing, hitting Nevada players so much so that forced the Wolfpack into the other tunnel where Utah State is and tempers flared a little bit. Police got involved, arguments, yelling, shouting, pushing, all sorts of things between what looked like the Utah State coaching staff um, and the Nevada coaching staff. Didn't look like any players were involved. You know, Jordan Caroline was visibly upset and, and, you know, had to be restrained by multiple teammates, but he never actually made contact with anyone just yelling and, and shouting. Yeah, well, yeah, it, to, to get under somebody's skin that bad, regardless of whether it's a tough conference loss or emotional loss, the, the alleged part obviously is pretty important, but somebody had to have done something yeah. that got his blood absolutely boiling, and there's no place for that, obviously. College kids kind of are synonymous with doing dumb stuff, especially after a program-defining win that maybe gets you to an NCAA tournament. But, yeah, that stuff is just inexcusable. Yeah, and, I, it, you know, it, it hurts what should be a really great night for Utah State. Exactly. Like it's a huge win, you know. New new coach, essentially a new program, you know, for so long they were so consistent. And then a couple down years, and, and now they're somewhat back. But it'll be fun if those two teams play in the uh, Mountain West title game. That would be something to watch. Oh, but boy. We, we shall see. We'll move to spring training as baseball is officially in the air. And Sam, wait, did Bryce Harper sign? Oh, finally, he did, Brian, with the Philadelphia Phillies. 13 as... years, $330 million. You can listen to 5-Minute Friday. John and I broke it down. But we are here to talk a little bit about the Cubs. We are both Cubs fans, so we just wanted to give them a little shout before the season. We'll start C.J. Edwards. He's got a new delivery, and it's like the Clayton Kershaw hitch at the bottom, and it seems to be working pretty well for him. Granted, yeah, I've well... seen him pitch like an inning and a third in spring training so far. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, so doing something that big to your delivery as a pitcher where everything's about timing and yeah. being in the right place at the right time, it if if he can figure it out and keep going with it, that's a very, very tough thing to face in the batter's box. So throwing off the timing, the, you, we've seen dozens and dozens of pitchers do quick pitches, yeah. altering the delivery here and there. Any little advantage you can get. Uh, is obviously huge, and obviously for the Cubs, I hope that it works for Carl Edwards. Yeah, I mean, CJ had a great start to the year and then bombed Yep, pretty much the rest of the season. I mean, just like the rest of the bullpen, essentially. They, they just couldn't find any consistency, and he was certainly with them. Command was a big-time issue. And even if this kind of, like, slows him down to just get him to focus a little better on, uh, you know, location and everything like that. Gives him a better view of the batter's box, whatever it may be. You know, that that's all that matters if he can get that done. Oh, exactly. And it, it seemed at every big moment last year that he was pitching in, regardless of whether it was before or after the thing. It, it's always this deep breath, step back on the mound, and just being able to keep his composure and not really rush through things. Yeah. So if that little pause can help him kind of 
take take that split second stock of where his all of his body parts are in relation to one another, then he he can keep throwing gas and deceiving hitters, and he he's got good enough stuff where he doesn't need something like this. But this little wrinkle to his game uh, could be huge. Yeah, hopefully. So hopefully it works out. The other big news is. Wilson Contreras and Chris Bryant are hitting the baseball, and they're hitting it hard. Both have a couple home runs already in spring training. Chris Bryant obviously was out for a while. I don't even two months probably. He missed maybe two and a half um, with I think it was that sixty-two shoulder, games or something. Yeah, like that. with with that shoulder injury, so probably two and a half months. Um, he, he, I mean, this is a reigning or former, excuse me, not reigning, former MVP. Still, still very young still hits the ball extremely hard if he can get back to that. I mean, this lineup was missing him. They were missing Contreras. Addison Russell was, you know, doing God knows what all season. Um, Baez really picked up the slack, but they they didn't have that production, you know, earlier in the year, and, and Rizzo had a tough first half, turned it on in the second half a bit, but that lineup was missing some big pop, you know, between Contreras and Bryant, and if those two can get back on track... This is a very dangerous team. I mean, I don't think anyone's really discounting them besides Pakoda, but that's that's what it is right now. Yeah, they they definitely will not go eighty and eighty two or, or or whatever that that baseball prospectus Pakoda metric had them. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention also quickly is you've been hearing, and it's not just spring training kind of random storylines, but you Darvish seems to really kind of be his. I think the mental aspect for him is a lot. It was put mm-hmm. under the microscope last year, and I, I think he's really figured his su- his stuff out. And uh, I read an article where he was smiling more, joking with guys, got rid of his interpreter. Um, so he, he just seems a lot more at ease in the second year of his contract. And the j- that's when John Lester kind of really came to be the second year of his Cubs contract. So hopefully, you Darvish can put something together and maybe you can just maybe pitch. win. Uh, you know, yeah, just, exactly. Just stay healthy. Just be out there. Just pitch. Yeah, because whatever. I mean. Another big thing is Tyler Chatwood had the worst year of his career, like by oh, far. Yeah. He was walking more guys than he struck out. Like it, it was an all-around disaster. If they can get both of those guys, Chatwood doesn't even have to be great. He just needs to be better than last year, and he'll be serviceable. And then if you Darvish can pitch, you know, as his average, which has been pretty darn good, that's a very strong rotation. I mean, obviously you're still, you know, assuming that John Lester has a lot left in the tank and then Kyle mm-hmm. Hendricks can continue to pitch like he is. God only knows what you're going to get with Quintana, but that's five legitimate starters if those two can can keep or can up their game from last year. Exactly. Yeah. And you Darvish I think is third all-time in strikeout rate behind Chris Sale and I I haven't I'm forgetting who the other one is, but yeah, if if he can be get back to that elite echelon then that 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 makes Joe Madden's job a whole lot easier. Yeah, and it, I think a big thing too is there's so much stress on the bullpen for so long last year. Mm-hmm. If you can get a starter to go, you know, if every you know three or three out of five starts is a quality start this year, as opposed to maybe two or one and a half, whatever it was last year, two and a half starts is a quality start. You're you're saving your bullpen, you know, hundreds of innings for the year. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. that's the key. Last bit that's going on, NFL Combine is taking place in Indianapolis. Really? Just two big things. Um, We'll start with Montez Sweat. 
He ran. He is 6'6", 260 for those who don't know. He's an edge rusher, and he ran a 4-4-140. That is just out <laughs> of this world fast. Yeah, for if, if anybody is wondering who some of the best athletes in the world are, it's no secret, but defensive linemen that have speed just are... Edge rushers, too. Like, yeah, edge rushers you, specifically, but defensive linemen. Like, look at... Uh, look at Akeem Hicks. Yeah, he's a massive man, but he is still fast. Yeah, exactly. That that those. I'm I'm having a loss for words right now, just because it's something that is not supposed to happen. <laughs> like the right. human body is pushed to his limits, and it's it, you just got to sit back and admire it for what it is. The other big story of the combine right now is DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, ran a four three three forty is absolutely ripped out of his mind. Like, the pictures are insane. And he called 50-50 balls 99-1 to because he's catching it 99% of the time, and the other <laughs> 1% is the quarterback making a bad throw. The problem, he, he tested at, like, the lowest percentile in all three of the uh, lateral movement drills. The cone drill, the 20-yard, and the shuttle. He was terrible, like nearly yeah, last. Like third to fifth percentile or something. Yep, he, he was atrocious. So as long as he's going on a fly route every time, he's going to be great. No hip flexibility, it seems like. And really, uh, you know, I haven't – he was good at Ole Miss, but they also were just kind of like a run-and-gun style offense. It, it was kind of like Texas Tech or it's air raid. It wasn't anything, you know, super complex. I haven't seen his route running abilities – I'd have to assume he's better than like They're the third sloppy. percentile, but at this rate, you know, all the metrics that that are great are he also has some pretty bad ones. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah, it, it, that was quite. I I had to like double check that the graphic that I saw was like not doctor or something because right. I was like, how how does this guy who's this athletic freak be in the third percentile in shouldn't he know his strengths and weaknesses like going into the combine shouldn't he be working on the shuttle and the cone instead of you know maybe taking a hundredth of a second off of his 40 time yeah well you'd think but (laughs) oh well (laughs) that old miss education there huh the yeah i mean that's the nfl combine right now Defensive linemen, a lot of them had some really good times. Rashawn Gary from Michigan ran a really good time. I think it was like 4-5-1, something around there. It's fun to watch those numbers come in, but they don't really mean much. Um, yeah. Elijah Holyfield, the running back from Georgia, ran I think like a 4-7-6, and there were three punters and one kicker who ran faster 40 times than him. <laughs> well, the, the fact that punters and kickers even run 40 times at the combine is hilarious to me, but. People That's forget. A conversation for a different day. Cousin Pat, Pat O'Donnell, r- benched more than Jadeveon Clowney at his combine. I don't forget that, let me tell you. <laughs> that is that is my favorite part about Cousin Pat. There you go. That is all for us this week. We will ch- catch you next week. Uh, as always, check out Let Me Be Frank blog. We are on iTunes and Spotify, so be sure to follow us and listen along. We'll see you next week.